The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and go to John chapter 18, please. The Gospel of John chapter 18. And this morning we'll be looking together at verses 36 through 38. John chapter 18, we'll begin reading at verse number 36. The Bible says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we do thank you for the privilege once again to spend a few moments in your word today. Lord, I certainly need your help. Please empty me and myself. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to clearly, accurately, and interestingly present the Bible today. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will do in us and for us and through us and to us exactly what he desires to do as we with meekness receive truth today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. LifeWay recently did a survey of some 2,000 people between the ages of 18 and 22 who grew up going to church at least once a week. To an alarming degree, they discovered that nearly 66% of those people, ages 18 to 22, who had gone to church at least once a week during their growing up years were no longer in church. They had abandoned it. I don't know about you, but that seems like an alarming statistic to me. We just came off of a missions conference, and in 3 John, the Bible tells us that one of the reasons we support missionaries is in order that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. But it would be hard for us to help advance truth when truth is deteriorating right at our home base. One pastor told me that doubt has now become the new opiate. Doubt is now the thing to which many people are addicted. And like Pilate, many people are looking Jesus right in the face. They are looking at truth right in the face and asking the question, what is truth? Obviously, we can't be fellow helpers to the truth if there is no such thing as truth. I think we would be safe to say that in our society, we are experiencing truth decay. So let's examine this from several points this morning. First of all, think about a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of kingdom in the first part of verse 36. When Pilate asked Jesus why he has been handed over, Jesus replies this way. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, one of the things that makes Jesus' kingdom different from all the other kingdoms that exist on this earth is its origin. Jesus' kingdom did not originate here. 
His kingdom is not of this world. Now this very concept takes us back to Daniel chapter 2. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream of his statue. There was a head of gold that represented Babylon. There were arms of silver that represented Medo-Persia. There were thighs of brass that represented uh, Greece. And then there was uh, legs of iron that represented Rome. And you'll notice that as this statue was going down, it was deteriorating in value. Silver is less than uh, gold in value. And then bronze is less than silver and iron is less than bronze. We see that our society is deteriorating in value. It is not evolving, it is devolving. And at the end of that dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a stone made without hands. It's not manufactured like these metals were. It is made without hands. It is not crafted like a statue is with human instruments. And this stone that is without hands, made without hands, comes and hits the base of that statue and destroys every bit of it. Jesus is very clear that his kingdom is one that is made without human hands. It is not of this world. Now this does not mean that his kingdom does not manifest itself in this world. Indeed, the kingdom has human servants in it. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. So even though his kingdom is not of this world, it does have human agents within it. It has human servants within it. Even in Daniel's dream, when the stone made without hands hits the statue, it hits at its base. It hits on planet earth. So you understand that even though God's kingdom is not of this world, it manifests itself on this world. Indeed, in the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We pray for God's kingdom to come. Not stay out there, but to come. And when it comes, it will be so that God's will is done, notice it, on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a desire for something outside of this world to come and help us because when we manufacture our own rulerships, when we manufacture our own dynasties, when we manufacture our own kingdoms, they deteriorate, they dissolve. We need a political structure that is literally outside of this world to come to this world in order to help us. I'm telling you this morning that we are not going to find our help through the Republicans or the Democrats. We need something more than the RNC and the DNC. We need the LJC. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to come. We need a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world to come to this world. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. But not only do I see a different kind of kingdom, but notice secondly, I see a different type of conquest. Pilate's initial question in verse 35 is simply this, Jesus, why were you handed over? And Jesus answers this question in part by saying, I was handed over because my servants don't fight. In other words, when I was arrested, they put up no armed resistance. As a matter of fact, one of my disciples who tried to put up an armed resistance and cut off a fellow's ear, I told him to put your sword away. We do not conquer the world. My kingdom does not advance itself, Jesus is saying, through conventional military strategy. This alone should prove to us that his kingdom is not of this world because it operates, it advances with a different framework of reference. Now there are multiple attestations of this throughout scripture, but I would like to drive at least three points from this. Let's begin with Jesus' own words. Take your Bibles and go back to Matthew chapter 20. 
Matthew chapter 20. And let's look at verses 25 and 26. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many." So Jesus is saying that my kingdom is not advanced with politics. Rather, Jesus is saying that my kingdom is advanced with servanthood. This is radically different than the way the heathen do it. There are wars and rumors of wars, and one part is trying to squash another part on this globe. Jesus says my kingdom does not advance itself this way. It is a kingdom that has a vastly different mentality. It doesn't come to conquer. It comes to conquer through service rather than through dominion. A second thought. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 4. Because this kingdom has a different mentality, it uses different weapons. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now notice he says that our weapons are not fleshly. Because we don't conquer the way the world conquers. We conquer through servanthood. We use a different kind of weaponry. We don't use fleshly weapons. We don't respond in a fleshly way, the, world, the, the way the world responds in a fleshly way. Now, this doesn't mean that our weapons are not mighty. Quite the opposite is true. Even though they're not fleshly implements, Jesus says they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But it's just a different kind of weapon. Because we're approaching advancement with a different mentality we use a different weaponry. We use spiritual weapons. Why do we use spiritual weapons? There's a different mentality. There's a different weaponry because there's a different enemy. Take your Bibles. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse number 12. The Bible is very clear here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So you understand that, for example, with these missionaries that we've just recently sent out, these missionaries that we have sent, these missionaries are not going to start a new political party. They're not being sent to the various countries of this world as political insurrectionists. That's not why they're going. They're going with a different mentality to serve. They're using different weapons like the word of God rather than guns and knives and tanks. And they're not even really fighting a human battle. They're not going to conquer flesh and blood, the Bible says. There's a spiritual warfare afoot. And so because this is true, they go with a different mentality, they use different weapons, because the kingdom is advanced through a different type of technique. They are going to conquer territory in a vastly different kind of way. They're not going to fight the conventional battles that we would think of. So Jesus says, I have a different type of kingdom. Because I have a different type of kingdom, there's a different type of conquest which brings us to our third point, which is a definitive testimony about Christ. Notice what he says in verse number 37 of our text. 
Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now because Jesus is talking about a kingdom, Pilate rightly assumes that Jesus is a king. He says, are you a king then? Certainly Jesus is a king, but he's not the type of king that Pilate is envisioning. Jesus is not predominantly a political insurrectionist. That's not why he came. He is not a king in the sense that Pilate would think of that term. Jesus and his followers are on a distinctly different style of mission to accomplish a different style of task. What they are here to do, the Bible says, Jesus says, we are here to bear witness to the truth. Indeed, Jesus boldly states in this passage that anybody who is on the side of truth is going to listen to me. Now that is quite a bold statement. Imagine if I said anybody that's for truth is on my side. You think, well, of all the nerve, well, of all the arrogance. And certainly if a human being, a mere human being made that statement, we would be right in thinking so. But Jesus says everybody who wants to align themselves with truth is going to listen to my voice. Now certainly this includes correct festicity. It includes having the right facts. Certainly Jesus would agree that two plus two equals four. But it's much more than that. When Jesus here is talking about truth, he's talking about reality. He's talking about living life the way that life ought to be lived. Not to live life in a skewed or twisted kind of way, but to live life as it is aligned to be lived, lining up with truth. It is saying that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be a life of integrity. It's going to be a life of wholeness. It is going to be lived for the reason for which you were created and made. Jesus is the means whereby truth is integrated into life and people live life as it ought to be lived. Indeed, Jesus put it this way, it is only when a man is born again that he's even able to see the kingdom of God. You understand that you never get a perspective for real living until your life is properly aligned and unionized with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is truth. Jesus bears witness to the veracity, the genuineness, the authenticity of life as it ought to be lived. Jesus is truth. Now, why is this so important? He has a different kind of kingdom because that's true. There's a different kind of conquest. And the definitive testimony about Christ is that this is the way life is to be lived. So why is this a big deal? Because of our final point. There is a destructive trend in our communities. The reason this is so vital is because of Pilate's question. Pilate looks truth right in the face and asks this question. What is truth? Pilate is your typical politician who is seeing truth as a floating anchor. It, it's it's, it's a, an expedient that can be adopted or abandoned on a whim. In our society today, you could actually win an apologetic argument and someone could look at you after you've won the apologetic argument and say, so? You understand, people think that truth, well, I'm glad that works for you. That's your truth, but this is my truth. You understand that truth is not an attitude or a feeling. 
If your mother tells you to be home by 10 o'clock at night, this presupposes that there is an objective standard by which we can determine whether it's 10 or not. If you walk in at 10.30 and your mother says, where were you? And you said, I just didn't really feel like it was 10 o'clock. So now, I know that's your 10 o'clock, but this is my 10 o'clock. I don't think that would work too well. And truth does not necessarily have to be believed by all people for it to be true. A good chunk of people could believe that the moon is made of cheese, but this does not in fact mean that it's made of cheese. A boy might, be, might identify as a girl or a girl as a boy, but this does not mean that indeed this is true, even though they're sensing it or feeling it. And truth, you understand, is not determined by polling data. Truth does not become true at the moment that 51% of the people of the populace embrace it. For example, you may hide the key to your house in your garage and no one in your neighborhood knows that it's there. You're the only one who knows it's there. You're in the minority. Well, this doesn't mean that the key's not there because the rest of the neighborhood doesn't know it. You understand, Webster defined truth as being in accord with fact or reality. It is being in accord with fact or reality. Let's look at four things quickly that people use to determine truth. A pragmatist, for example, will say that truth is what works. But you understand if someone's spouse dies, it may not be practical. If my wife died, I can assure you practicality in our household. My wife helps me a lot stay in line. So it wouldn't be practical for me. She helps me so much. It wouldn't be practical for me if she died, but nevertheless it would be true if it happened. An empiricist will say that truth is what makes sense. But you understand that's a floating anchor as well. Who's to say what sweet coffee is? Maybe some person puts just a little pinch and that sweetens the coffee. Another person puts a half a cup in a cup, you know. Who's to say? It doesn't sense. No, no, no. It's either sweet or it's not. A rationalist says truth can be understood by reason, but that doesn't make sense either because does that mean until I understand truth, it's not truth and it only becomes truth when I understand it? And an emotivist would say that truth is what one feels, but truth is not felt. For example, if I were to walk in a classroom to teach and there were three erasers laying on the, uh, tr the tray of the chalkboard, I don't know that I would feel anything about that. How do you feel, Jeff, about three erasers being on the chalk tray? I don't know. How am I supposed to feel about that? But it's true whether I feel anything or not. Now here's the problem. Whether you are embracing pragmatism or empiricism or rationalism or emotivism, anytime you embrace one of those theories concerning truth, at that very moment you understand evangelism is stifled. Because now at that point, Christianity merely becomes a placebo for somebody to take in order to feel better. I'm glad that Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead theory that you've espoused works for you. I'm glad it's your little crutch to get you along in life. I'm glad it's making you feel better, but I don't need that. Thank you very much. You understand, as our second president, John Adams, said, facts are stubborn things. 
Jesus was God. He did die for the sins of the world, and he bodily walked out of the grave the third day under the auspices of his own power. That's truth. And our world will never be right until it embraces truth. What is truth? Jesus said, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm begging you this morning, the reason that so many people in your age bracket have walked out is because they have embraced this lie that truth is a floating anchor. But I want to tell you, no matter what you feel or what you reason or what you feel works or what you uh, sense, God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He died the vicarious death after living the sinless life. And on that third day, he vacated the tomb. And he's alive and well. And that's the truth. Recently, I was talking to someone who was in their mid-30s. And this person was leaving Christianity. They were in the process of walking away from it. And they were bringing up things like, you know, you Christians started the Crusades and there really was no evangelical Christianity in the Dark Ages and they started going through all these typical arguments that weren't even valid. And then this person asked me this question. They said at the end of it, so with all of this true, what would make you still be a Christian? My answer was very simple. On the third day under the auspices of his own power, Jesus rose again. Jesus said, there's not going to be any sign given you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And if the resurrection doesn't move you, and Gary Habermas, the distinguished professor of apologetics, who was one of my seminary professors, said, there's more evidence that Jesus walked out of the grave under the auspices of his own power than there is that John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln. There probably is perhaps no more documented fact that Jesus was dead, was alive, and died, and now lives forevermore. And if that doesn't work, I don't know what's going to work for you. You know, you, if you raise from the dead under the auspices of your own power, you don't have to do anything for an encore. I mean, it's not like when he walked out of the tomb and said, man, I wonder what else he could do. That's enough. That will do. And having verified every truth claim that he made, Jesus now says, anyone who's concerned about truth is going to listen to my voice. May I continue to encourage you to get into the Bible every day and read it and let God speak to you and hear his voice. For Pilate asked the question and it does necessitate an answer. What is truth? Jesus is truth. His word is truth, and it's worth following. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College 
empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.